0: Well, today is a, a very important day. Uh, it's a day that I've been um, anticipating for some time. I've been wanting to share with you this for months now. Um, but actually, I've been, I've been wanting to share this with you for years. Uh, and it's something that our kids might talk about. And not because my content is so good, uh, but because of the opportunity before us. To begin, I, I want to remind you that we just finished Uh, A foundational series for the life of our church called Future Church. And in this series we introduced our rule of life that will be for us the way that we all from children's ministry uh, through to the most aged saint among us uh, practice the way of Jesus together in San Francisco. And this series corresponded and the rule of life corresponded with our logo. Uh, four inward personal practices. If you look at our logo, they have four inward uh, uh, arrows and then four outward arrows. And it was our hope that as we we were putting these together for actually a few years now, that these practices would be both attainable, meaning uh, anyone could do a version of them, and measurable, meaning you know if you are doing them or not, and you can track your growth in them. Because as a mentor of mine said, the only thing worse than trying to measure a church's spiritual growth is not trying to measure a church's spiritual growth. And so these practices are our way of doing that. And they are scripture, silence and solitude, Sabbath, fasting, community, hospitality, generosity, and vocation. These are our practices that we're gonna spend uh, a long time unpacking as a church community. Now, this isn't everything we do as a church community, but it is the way we do everything as a church community. And that's very important. For an example, justice. You're like, where's justice in all of this? And that's a very, very important part of our church. The way we will do justice will be in community, with hospitality and generosity and as a part of our vocation and calling. And the way that we sustain justice in a city and in a time like ours will be through our motivation in scripture with silence and solitude, learning how to stop in Sabbath and with fasting and prayer because some things are only changed by fasting and prayer. That's just one small example. Now, if all this seems daunting to you, please don't let it be we will be going slowly and have years and years, God willing decades to walk this out as a church community. Remember, a rule of life is a trellis that supports the fruit and growth of our life with God. So this series was called Future Church, a way of life for the church of the future. Now today, as a part of bringing this series to a close, I want to talk about the possible, the possible future of our church. And to start, I wanna read to you Psalm 126. Would you stand with me once more as we read today's text? Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Like streams in Negev, who, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Lord, as we sit with this text, I pray God, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. You can can be seated. Sometimes it's only poetry that can capture the complexity of a moment. How a moment can be filled with so much joy and spontaneous laughter, and at the same time, that same moment can be filled with tears of expectant longing. Music has a way of doing this, holding the complexity and the multiplicity of a moment together. I remember one of my closest friends, young daughter lost her battle with cancer and I was at his house and we were listening to music and that James Taylor song, Fire and Rain, came on. and We wept. I still weep when I hear that song. To have had an, any amount of time to live and make memories with someone you love so much and be filled with so much gratitude, at the same time to mourn that that same life isn't here anymore and yet at the same time know that by faith one day all things will be made new. All of that, emotion captured in a single song. Psalm 126 is Israel's I've seen fire and I've seen rain. It's lament and it's praise, it's joy and it's pain. It's dreams come true and we still have a long freaking way to go. Psalm 126 isn't just Israel's song. It's the human experience. It's how life goes. The Hebrew term for restored our fortunes is the Hebrew word shavot, And it means the complete reversal of fortune that is done by the mysterious power of God. I don't know if you believe in God or not. I'd assume showing up to internet church, you have some inclination towards the idea. Psalm 126 is about how life gets turned around and God is in the middle of it. If you would just take the time to try and see. Or in the words of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, it's when life gets flipped turned upside down. (laughs) You thought life was going one way and then it flips and goes the other way. And God is mysteriously at work in it all. And it feels like a dream come true. That's why the Psalm says we were like those who dreamed and you can't help but laugh a little to yourself. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Psalm 126 is a fitting psalm for what's before us right now as a church. Check out this picture. It's a picture of, you can probably tell these little tiny people in the middle of that picture are Britt Merrick and Tim Chaddock. Britt is the founding pastor of Reality Family of Churches and Tim is the founding pastor of both Reality LA and London. They were both very instrumental in planting us in San Francisco. During our several prayer meetings leading up to planting RSF, one of the biggest things we prayed for was a place, a place to plant the church. So this is a picture of Tim and Britt praying in front of a building that was an old church across the street from City Hall. I remember driving by it over and over thinking, I wonder if this old vacant church is available. And I kept on telling, telling Britt and Tim, and they said stop, pull over, let's go pray for the building. And so they did and I took a picture of it and then I posted it on Facebook and I wrote, Britt, Tim, and Dave, I'm the one taking the picture, that's clever of me, praying for this building for a future home. And it's dated June 18th, 2009. This is six months before our first public worship service. Now, it wasn't available, but what this reveals is that we had a desire to try and buy an old church building for our church to gather in and minister out of. This desire has been deeply woven into our story over the last 11 years. In fact, over the past 11 years, we have looked at 10 buildings to try and buy to plant roots here in San Francisco. Eight out of those 10 were existing churches. All of those buildings, but one, wouldn't be able to fit us. And every single one of those buildings were not ready to occupy us without some major renovations. And all of that changed in a moment. Flip turned upside down. We got a call from a church building that sadly was having to close their SF church and wanted us to be the ones to buy the building, to carry on the building's hope of being a light to the city. This call was was after being removed from Everett middle school, where we used to gather on Sunday mornings with no plans of returning after schools are in the, the middle of the hotbed of the COVID controversy. This after being told, that we only have a couple more months to be in the Swedish-American Hall before we have to vacate? The call was from Northgate SF, formerly Bethel Christian Church in the Mission, and they said, would you be interested in buying this building? Tarek actually got the call. And Tarek said without hesitation, like a really good real estate planner, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And they said, they said, it's not going to be free It's going to cost money. And Tarek said, we know. We're very interested in this building. The building is on Valencia and 24th Street, in the heart of the mission, a block from BART and a few blocks from Muni Metro Line. The building is 44,000 square feet. The sanctuary will hold about 750 people post-COVID. Children's ministry space galore offices, a small parking lot, a very large fellowship and hospitality space, and a large courtyard out front. And that's just the church building. Next to the building, but attached with a hallway, is a whole educational building that has 16 classrooms and a library. And across the street, there's an empty lot that could either be turned into something cool eventually. Right now, it's a paved parking lot. If we have the the money or the right developer, we, we, we have a vision that we could build low-income housing or something, if that is a possibility, or we can just sell the lot to offset the cost. And then next to that, there's a building that has a few apartments and a retail space at the bottom that could be turned into an intentional monastic community that houses the very center of our rule of life, and more on that to come. Now, let's talk about the building really quick because it, if you've noticed, it has a lot of glass and all these pitched roofs, roof lines, and, which might seem strange to you. It seemed very strange to me, to be honest, until you realize that it's modeled after an old Scandinavian stav church, with their multiple roof lines and use of glass and light, if you see the picture on the screen. See, the church used to meet on Cap Street in, in the 1920s, and in, the 19, in 1920, this little small church was filled with the Holy Spirit, and they changed their name from a Swedish Baptist church to the Scandinavian Full Gospel Church, which is why the building is a take on a historic Scandinavian building, which is why there's a lot of light wood and light and windows in the building. Now, this is a lot of property, and on Valencia Street, in the Mission, so it's like right in the center of Uh, expensive places in San Francisco (laughs) which is why they're asking 15 million dollars for this all of these buildings now we haven't uh, gotten back an appraisal for it but we think that the price is below market we just don't know how much below market yet we'll talk about our financial plan around this very soon but I do want to say briefly that our bank has already agreed to loan us 10 million and the payment on that for our church, our size with our budget is very doable. We plan on exiting our Bryant Street offices and the venues that we rent on Sunday. And just for the rent for both of those spaces will be about a wash financially for occupancy for our budget. Now we have about 1.2 million in savings that we've been diligently putting aside with this vision in mind. So we think we need to raise somewhere between four and five million. But we also want to believe God for the full 15 million so that we don't have to carry any debt. Now, the building doesn't need to be completely renovated, but it does need some love. It's move-in ready, but we have some work to do on it to get it to where we want to, but that can come later. But that will also take some cash as well. Now let me answer the glaring question that many of you might be asking, I mean, not in this room, but I'm saying maybe at home you're asking this question. (laughs) Why a building? Why in the world are we trying to buy a building? Especially after COVID, why are we trying to buy a building? Now, first of all, let me just say this. If this is new information for you, that we want to buy a building, I'm very sorry. We've wanted to buy a building and believed it was the future of our church since day zero, since year zero. Like, this has always been a part of our plan. So if that's new information to you, I'm sorry. But that doesn't explain why. Why in the world are we still trying to buy a building? So I'm a pastor, so I'll give you three points, okay? three points of why we're trying to buy a building. The first is this, our life stage as a church. In 2018, at Annual Vision and Prayer in the Jazz Center in Hayes Valley, I said that we were in the middle of a 21 plus year vision for our church, if you remember that, that, that um, AVP. I remember a lot of people were like, 21 years, I might not be alive that long. Seriously, some people um, said that in our church. Now, we saw it in three seasons of seven and this is what we shared, this is the slide that we shared at, at that night. A long vision for RSF where we believe that the first seven years were the building phase of our church. The next seven years, which we're in the middle of right now, is the establishing phase. And then year 15 plus are, the well, God willing, be the flourishing years of our church. And we said the establishing phase of our church is a very important part of our church. It's not as, as like sexy as the building stage. The building was everything. There was momentum and people were like couldn't find seats. You had to save seats for people and it was exciting. Everything was popping and all this other stuff. And it was great. And communities were great and all this stuff. And then when you get past seven years like we did, we start to hit a lot of bumps in the road. To where we even had to ask ourselves, do we endure? Do we keep going as a church community? And we think the establishing phase is the like internal fortitude stage of our church. Like how do we get strong internally? And so we said three things would define us establishing over these years. We wanted to get organizationally healthy. We needed to hire an executive director, get our church staff and our elders organized and healthy. We've done that with the hiring of Dale. Our our staff is as healthy as it's ever been, even through COVID. The second is, We really need to lean in to a clear plan for discipleship and formation. That's what we said. We need to come up with a plan of like, how do we make it clear and plain for this is our pathway for discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow the way and practice the way of Jesus here in our, in our church. And we've been working on that with our rule of life. It's like, that is the rollout of what we're doing for the next X amount of years, maybe God willing, hundreds of years. But the third thing that we said was buy a building. And so I want to say church, we're right on track. We're right on track to what we said a few years ago internal organization, a plan for discipleship, and a building. Now, the best that we can discern, we believe that the next right thing to do is to get into a building. The second reason why we're looking for a building or at this building specifically is our value and vision for rootedness. You know, I regularly step back and look at all that God has done through our young church and I'm amazed. I'm like, just amazed. I remember the very first song we sang at our very first Sunday service in this room, right on this stage, was, Not to Us, But to Your Name Be the Glory. That was the very first song we sang as a, as a, as a church. Now if you saw my resume, and the resume of those who, who, who came up to start this church, you would sing that song louder. <laughs> you would go, only God alone gets the glory for this thing. Absolutely 100% God gets all the glory. Now that doesn't mean this has been easy. Quite the opposite. Planting this church and being a part of this church for 11 years has been incredibly hard. In a city with so much transience, we have about 30% turnover every year. And that's, not, that's like before COVID. 30, meaning we have to grow by 30% just to stay the same. The impermanence of this city wears on people. Friends leave. Families find it hard to make it work here. I mean, but who can you blame? I believe me, I've tried to blame a lot of things, but who can you blame? It's in the history and the ethos of our city more than any other city in America. It's in our ethos. Our city was founded by miners, not young, small people like think pickaxe, right? Miners, the gold rush brought hit them here by, by the thousands. Miners lived in tents, they searched for gold, and then they left if they struck it rich, and then they left even if they didn't strike it rich. Does that sound familiar at all? From gold then to valuations now, it hasn't changed much. People move here to start something, they strike gold, and then many of them, not all, but a majority of them move away. I've said this to you before on several occasions, there's a difference between being a miner and a farmer. A miner never sets down roots. They live in tents. They stay mobile, agile, able to follow the gold. A miner's main job is to extract minerals from the land and move on. A miner often leaves the land more depleted than when they found it. But a farmer is different. A farmer's job is to see the land completely differently. Instead of taking from it, they cultivate it. They work the land so it becomes fruitful. They put down roots so, because a farmer thinks generationally, it's not about quick gratification. They plant so their kids and their kids' kids can have a future. It's been our hope at Reality San Francisco to be farmers in the city and not miners. It's been our hope to be rooted in SF. This is the type of language of Psalm 1. Rooted for longevity. Rooted for seasons. Rooted for fruitfulness. Rooted to offer shade to the spiritually hungry and thirsty, and to the literal hungry and thirsty. Amen. Church, I, I, I think we have this very opportunity before us, one that I've been praying for for years, one that, humanly speaking, we never thought was possible, but one that by faith we believe was just a matter of time. We have before us opportunity to truly put down roots as a church in San Francisco. See, we're convinced that we must move from a church, a church that is planted, to a church that's rooted. From a church plant to a church rooted. Now, what's the difference between those two? A church plant, which, which we have been for 11 years, is typically mobile, agile, using borrowed pots and rented planters, if you want to continue the metaphor. <laughs> We're in a rented, plant, potted, potted place right now. <laughs> and planted things have their use, they're beautiful. This church is beautiful, I love our church, but we believe the time is now to root down in a place of permanence a place where everyone knows where we're at at in the city, a place where we can serve and minister out of, a place where we can offer our shade and the fruit of our community to those who need it most. See, this will come at a great cost, not just financially. See, there's a time in life where you go from young and highly mobile to more mature and have a lot of responsibility, not just to your immediate family, but to your neighbors and to your community where your communities root you in a place where your commitments limit your options see the difference, difference between renting and owning isn't so much about finances it's actually the emotional investment to feel at home in a place you have to have the prospect of staying in that place over a long period of time we have loved meeting in all the places that we've met at as a church in the city but as we've experienced all it takes is a phone call and we have to find a new place to meet. We think it's time to be rooted in a place. And we're asking you to pray with us to discern if this is the place. Lastly, why a building? Our ministry to the city. There's something really cool in punk rock about being a mobile pop-up church. It's been really fun to be a mobile pop-up church, kinda. Our setup team wouldn't say that, but <laughs> a majority of our church would say that. People don't typically know about you unless they know about you. It's like an underground network where to find where you meet, you have to either know someone or check our digital footprint. It gives off some mystique and some cred that we're all scattered all over the city and some across the bay, but we have no formal home. That might be cool for us and cheaper and less risky for us, but we think, but if you thought about it in terms of how we love our neighbors, it's not cool at all. One of my mentors said to me recently, it's really good for a city such as your city to be able to point to a place, a building and think there is a spiritual community that meets right there and they are always there and I can knock on their door and I can show up on a Sunday and I know that they will be there when my life falls apart and I've searched high and low for comfort and I haven't found it anywhere, I know that they will be there. If you drive around the city, you'll see a lot of churches. You'll see a lot of church buildings. But we're once, what were once places of worship and church life are now gyms and banks and fancy lofts and tech, spa- tech office spaces and social clubs. And the perception in our city, not every church is like this, but there are a lot. The perception is the church is gone, and they are a shell of once, what they once were. And it also says to our city that the church is part of your past, but not your future. But we don't believe that. First, we we don't wanna see another church become just another building in San Francisco. We feel a responsibility to tell a different story through a church building in SF. See, we are not looking for a building just to gather on Sundays, I wanna be clear. We're not just looking for a place to gather on Sundays. We are looking for a place that is open to come and pray throughout the week. A sacred, thin space where heaven and earth meet and people can come and sit before God in silence. A place where we teach people about Christian thought and practice where discipleship classes and alpha and lectures and education is central to the building's use. A place where we're able to serve those in need. There is already a food bank that operates out of the building, which we plan on continuing and expanding to serve the neighborhood. We would love to see the courtyard, that big courtyard in the front, turn into a, a parklet where people can come up and have lunch or just spend a quick minute off the street and hopefully in a moment of serenity with their coffee in hand or whatever. I read a a story last month about a, a community meeting that took place in old South church in Boston. I've preached there once. It's a beautiful old church building. At this meeting, one social activist was particularly enthusiastic in criticizing the great disparities of wealth in the city. In his great fervor, he used the church they were all sitting in as an offending example. He said this, he said, take this church, it's obscene. All the stained glass, gold chalices and fine tapestries, if the church really cared about the poor, they should sell off this building and give it to the poor. Now, this argument is not new. It was made by Jesus' very own disciples and it's cl- and it clearly has some merit. But a woman from the neighborhood who lived there all her life said in a quiet voice, this is one of the most beautiful places in the city It's one of the only places where poor folks can afford to be around beauty. All the other beauty in this city costs money. Here, we can be surrounded by beautiful things, and it belongs to all of us. Don't even think about taking away what little beauty we have. There will be some in our church that think we need to take whatever money we would spend on a building and give it to the poor. And that impulse has great merit. But what if we can build something for the city, a place where beauty and the sacred collide to offer our rooted shade to our neighbors? I mean, that's our hope. So what are we asking you to do? We're asking you to commit to pray. Pray for wisdom, pray for timing, pray for confirmation. Here is what we're not saying. I want you to hear this. Here's what we're not saying. We're not saying that we are buying the Bethel building. We're not saying that. We're saying we are dreaming about the Bethel building. We are like those who dreamed as the Psalm said. We are asking you to be a part of that process. Because to be honest, we will all be paying for this. You'll be paying for this and I'll be paying for this. And because of that, we all need to discern this together. This isn't my problem. This might even be God's problem. I don't even know your problem, it's God's problem. He'll figure it out, we understand that. But we all have to be in this together. Our elders, our board, and our staff, the staff of our church think this is an amazing opportunity from God, but we want you to discern with us. Now, how? How do you discern with us? Well, we have an open house and prayer meeting Monday night, May 17th. Registration opens tomorrow for that. We can only have a limited amount of people because of COVID. We'll have all our same safety protocols that we do here on Sunday. You can sign up to walk around this building and pray for the decision. We're going to worship and we're going to pray in this space we're opening a way for you to tell us what you think and what god might be saying to you in this whole process as well more on that we have a webpage where all the faqs pictures all the stuff will live to be clear i want to be very clear here we are in a three-part discernment process with this building part one is congregational discernment this is where you play a huge part this is where we're going to pray in the building discern together what god might be saying Part two is a financial plan. You will be a big part of that as well, but that, more on that to come, on what the financial fundraising plan for this will be. But even in your discernment process, begin to be open to what God might be leading you to do. And third, due diligence. This is the actual due diligence of the building itself. This is stuff that Tarek and his people are doing that's way above my pay grade, that I have no idea how this works. Like, stuff, I don't know, stuff. Remember when the Lord restored our fortunes, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. We had a seasoned church of tears and weeping. Through COVID, I believe that for many of us who felt alone, who felt they needed to be around other Christians, who felt during this time more than ever, they needed to be in a room gathered with their spiritual community, and they weren't able to, many of us sowed in tears. Many of us sowed weeping, hoping for the day that a harvest would come of restoration. And we believe that might be happening right now. We believe that it feels like almost like a dream come true. Um, To be honest, I'm scared to death about the finances, but I'm learning to trust God with that. there's a lot of risk involved in this because we shift from being a church that's mobile and not to being like, we're, that's where we're at and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. But I think, I believe that this is the next right thing to do as a church community, to best serve and follow the mission of Christ in San Francisco. But I also want you to discern that with us. So would you please stand with me as we close in prayer? And as just in a posture of just openness to God, all of us, I think it's really important that we all start with openness. The Ignatian prayer is a prayer of indifference, which I've been trying to practice over and over again. Let's open our hands. The Ignatian prayer of indifference is being indifferent to anything but the will of God. And so, Lord, as we stand before you, we say we are, as a church community, indifferent to anything but your will for us. Reality San Francisco, in our moment in time, in our leg of the Christian race, we want to be faithful to you. And we want your will. We radically want your will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.